Before we get started today, uh, we're going to talk just a little bit about things that are going on in life. Um, I We are recording this together live. Um, we're actually recording this in an Airbnb uh, instead of uh, at the house. We didn't have quite enough room in my, in my little recording booth to fit both of us. Uh, but Rebecca is here live for this episode, um, visiting for Christmas. Yes, I'm here in Panama City Beach, Florida, and a great and wonderful event has occurred, which is the birth of Ross's son. And Ross and Kara's son was born the day after Christmas, and we were here, and it's been really wonderful. Yeah, it's definitely a, a massive blessing that the baby came while you were here. We weren't sure. Yeah, right. When, when you showed up, we were kind of like, well, it, it could happen at any time. It's, you know, <laughs> no. baby's coming on baby's own schedule, not on our schedule. Yes. Unfortunately, Torval cooperated very well and he arrived and we've been able to spend the last couple of days with him so it's been wonderful yeah and it was it was actually uh uh it was the day after christmas he was born and uh, uh we we were sitting on the beach on christmas eve and enjoying the beautiful weather and the white sand and swimming in the water and uh there was there was a, about 12 baby manta rays that swam by us while we were so in the cool. water <laughs> Yeah, a sign perhaps. Yeah, perhaps a sign. And then and it, it was uh, the next day. I, the, I mean, leading up to that, um, you know, we were, Kara was basically in labor while we were on the beach there. <laughs> and uh, it turns out later. And uh, so it was, it was uh, Christmas Day. We were just kind of opening some presents and eating some food. And um, after dinner, we decided to go to the hospital. And I, I had to drag Kara there kicking and screaming. She didn't want to go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and everything turned out really wonderfully. And and we know that we've mentioned the impending baby more than once on the podcast, so we thought we'd fill you in and let you know that um this is this is a wonderful event that happened just a few days ago. Yeah, and we are also going to thank some listeners for some donations. Um it was absolutely heartwarming to see so many of you come forward and and help us out. Um and we do have uh, a a big chunk at least of our medical bills covered. Um, and so it's uh, it's been a, a massive um, a massive blessing to have the the listeners of this program, um, you know, come forward to help us out. And so we're at the end of this uh, pre-roll. I'm I'm gonna insert another uh, thank you for another five listeners, and we're just gonna keep on thanking listeners until we run out of listeners to thank. <laughs> yes, thank you, everybody. So without further ado, I'd like to thank Jacqueline Falkenheim. Janet Hughes, Helen Joraz, Helen Smith, and Julia Hill. Once again, I really hope I pronounced all of your names correctly. That's all for now. On with the show. Hello and welcome to The Messy Studio with Rebecca Kroll, the podcast at the intersection of art, travel, entrepreneurship, philosophy, and life in general. I am Ross Tickner, Rebecca's audio producer, podcast guru, and her son. On today's episode, we are talking about overthinking. We talk a lot on the podcast about the importance of thinking about your work, of identifying intentions, strategies for developing your ideas, describing your work, researching other artists, and practicing self-critique. All of these are important, but we never want to neglect the more intuitive side of an art practice. So much of what we do is the result of hunches, impulses, and flashes of insight. And the bottom line is that as visual artists, Whatever we do needs to be more than intellectual underpinnings. Today we will talk about the balance of thinking and overthinking when it comes to making art. 
With me, as always, is Rebecca Kroll. Hello, everyone. So recently in a workshop that I was teaching, I had this moment about halfway through the week when I started to worry that I was promoting too much thinking. And this was because I'd done a series of PowerPoints about uh, the topic of form and content and the differences between formal and informal approaches to painting and so on. So kind of, you know, theoretical stuff. Um, and as an instructor, I, I really do want my students to have this kind of basic knowledge. But I had this moment when I just felt concerned that I was going to freeze them up <laughs> rather than open them up. And fortunately, they didn't seem to the to be the case. They all did fine. Um, but I know that sometimes workshop students feel a little overwhelmed by all this information. They've got, they're pra processing a lot of stuff and they're trying to produce paintings and trying to think about all these things. And they are important ideas. I would say, you know, serious students of art do get exposed to a lot of terms, a lot of theories, just like in any other discipline, anything you would study, um, there would be this kind of information. And, you know, it's important. I mean, there's there's things like basic vocabulary and basic concepts and all these things that, you know, when you when you know how to think about them and talk about them, it does help you understand your own work better. It helps you talk about your work, helps other people understand your work. But what is important I, I and what we want to talk about today is not losing sight of the joy of just creating and and just simply producing something that engages people and is beautiful and impactful um, on our thoughts and emotions and associations. Um, and you know, this, this impact of the visual art is so strong and important and it can get lost in too much too much overthinking. Well, and so much of what makes for really impactful art is is that kind of off the cuff, the things that come intuitively, but there also, there's a, a big difference between different styles of art and different processes. It's kind of like the difference between cooking and baking, mm -hmm. because if you're baking, you'd need to follow a recipe, but then cooking can be very intuitive and you can kind of look in your cupboard and say, okay, what do I have ingredients for? What can I make with that? Can I make something entirely new and different? or um, just kind of wing it and throw some things together and maybe stumble across something really fantastic. And so the, it's so much of this is dependent on what your medium is and what your process is. Yeah, there's definitely no one size fits all. I do think a lot of these basic things are important to know, to keep in mind. Um, but uh, it definitely, the they can become overwhelming, especially if you're kind of new to art and you're you're learning this whole new set of ideas and and um, vocabulary and concepts and if you're if you're coming into it maybe later in life this hasn't been a gradual build up over the years uh, you know if you've been if you've been making art for decades and you've just acquired a lot of this knowledge um, easily along the way by reading observing hearing things being taught uh, but if you're you know trying to take this on as a as a, a big a big load of information at once um, it really can be a lot and and I would say um, also there is a notion today that um, there's more emphasis on art having a conceptual focus it's it's just it's the current trend and 
if that's not you, um, you know, you you need to follow your own instincts. There were there were so many. I mean, I guess you would have to say great artists uh, of the past up until the last few decades were appreciated for the visual appeal of their work and their ability to express emotion and nuance and personal narratives and and these things that you just you you gain from a visual image without having a lot of explanation and a lot of conceptual ideas behind it. And now we're into a different kind of phase where that is emphasized. Um, but it doesn't mean that it's the only way to do it. And so I think understanding your own impulses and what, what feels right to you is important. Um, and, uh, you know, our, our intellectual function, which is important, it's really different from that intuitive response and it is necessary to a point to have that analytical mind. I mean, you need it for self-critique and um, kind of tracking your own progress. But, you know, just to always remember we are visual artists and the primary impact of the work is visual. So we aren't you know, engaged in writing essays or arguing political points or trying to convince somebody of our point of view, whatever, that sort of thing that enters into a lot of conceptual art now. Um, you know, it's it's unfortunate when the visual impact becomes less important. We, we also want to make sure that we're expressing something that has not necessarily universal appeal, but something that, that speaks to something within ourselves that other people can relate to. And uh, I think a lot of times if we get a little bit too focused on, on pushing a, a certain ideal, um, we become exclusionary in the way that we portray our voice and our work. And it's, uh, I, I think it's, it's beneficial to try to make work that everyone can appreciate. Um, not, not to say that you should be watering down your message or who you are as a person or what your voice is. Um, but I, I think that it is beneficial to try to speak to people in terms that, that they can, can draw strength from and can relate to, um, even if they walk a very different path in life from you. Yeah. And, and maybe it is on that intuitive level that we, that we reach that communication. You know, the more you, the more you overthink or intellectualize, as you're saying, you may put too fine a point on whatever it is that you're saying your work is about. And, and when you're just, you know, responding in sort of a gut intuitive way, other people can do the same, I think, when they, when they see your work. And that component um, is really important to finding that, that nonverbal communication that um, is what you want, I think, with your with your viewer. Um, and there's something too about just being in the flow of making your work. And um, I think that intuition is really important uh, as you're actually creating the piece. And too often people become, all of a sudden they're going along and all of a sudden they start thinking a bit too much about what they're doing in the form of maybe um, self-criticism, of uh, second-guessing something that seems intuitive. You know, like, I think my intuition says I want to put some red down here, and then analytical brain kicks in and says, 
well, is that going to work really? You know, that's a pretty bright color. I'm not so sure, you know. And so you can find yourself uh, stalled in your work uh, when you when you don't get out of your own way. And that, that phrase is often used in art, um, getting out of your own way, basically getting away from that over overthinking process. Well, and there certainly is a, a benefit to playing to a niche, to understanding who your audience is. Um, and, and we do that on this show. Um, our audience are... Uh, mostly visual artists, uh, mostly painters, a lot of people working with cold wax, uh, mostly people who are interested in abstraction. And that, that plays out in the topics that we, that we discuss. Um, But we also, um, I think that we, we include a lot of ourselves and there's something, there's an element of um, portraying ourselves as we are. And it's, it's kind of the human part of us connecting with the human part of you as the audience. And there's, there's a connection there that goes beyond the subject matter. Uh, yeah, good point. And, and it is on that, as we said, on that kind of gut level that we do relate to people. Um, and, and we, we relate to people through our work, um, in that way. And it kind of, kind of makes me wonder sometimes like why do we seem to have this need to come up with a lot of verbiage a lot of analytical language about what we do um, some people don't want to do that at all I mean there's kind of the old tradition of you know my work speaks for itself I don't have to say anything about it but operating in the contemporary art world today yes you do need to talk about your work and it's, I, I think that if you're caught up in this sort of trend of explaining your work in a very intellectual way, you can get pretty far from what your actual involvement with the work is. If you feel any pressure to make it more grandiose or make it more intellectual than, than it actually is. Um, and I've seen this happen. I've seen this in artist statements um, that people in workshops might show me that are meant to follow this trend. When they're writing it, they're very self-conscious about this work has to sound very important. How can I make it be very important to somebody who's looking at my website? Well, I may say things about it that aren't aren't really the heart of the work. I mean, they're really more overthought, more intellectualized. And then it comes across as kind of fake. And And I don't think that's what you really want. So, um, well, and unfortunately, this is something that has been taught to people in art school. And so I, th- I think that um, really, I'm, I'm kind of curious if you have any ideas about how people should talk about their work without getting into um, areas that may that come across as inauthentic. Yeah, I think I think you start with why do you do this and be very honest about that. What moves you? What motivates you? What are you? What are you actually really interested in? And it might be something completely personal. It might be something that you worry is a little bit trivial. It might be uh, I, I, you know, I find a lot of beauty in the landscape, and I am moved to work with that. And as opposed to you know, I'm uh, exploring the importance of. Uh, geographic location in terms of my position in society or something like that. (laughs) I'm sort of making this up off the top of my head, but, you know, this kind of elevating something that really is, no, I just really like 
looking at and painting from the landscape, you're going to have your own take on it. You're going to have things that interest you that don't interest someone else. You're going to have ways of doing that that are personal and interesting and meaningful. Um, but you can let your painting speak to what those are. Um, and, and just to, uh, I, I don't know, for me, it's coming from the place of what moves me, what motivates me, and what am I really actually interested in? And why do I want to do this? Well, and I, I think that maybe there's a need to go a few layers deep to get to the real core of, of why you make art. Um, so maybe we can, I can ambush you and we can try that right now. <laughs> okay. So uh, why do you make art? Well, I, I feel that it's a way of processing my experience. Okay. Processing your experience. Okay. Why? Why? Because, um, it makes me feel alive. It makes me feel connected to my experience, um, that I'm not just living life with blinders on, that I'm engaged in my life and the world around me, visually, emotionally. Okay. Why? <laughs> why? Why what? Why, why does it make you feel that way? Oh, oh. Um, well, I think it gets back to the processing again. It gets back to... Um, you know, I, I'm taking something in, it's filtering through um, my vision, it's filtering through my emotions and my technical skills and coming back out. And, and then I'm engaged with it and the viewer can be engaged with it. It's really creating a different sort of world, I think. Uh, it's a different, it's a remove from just looking at the world around me and I am an abstract artist so it's that process of filtering I suppose and changing transforming good so we went maybe three layers deep there and we yeah. could we could go deeper but I, I think that that gives us a, a sense of how you can portray your work in a way that that is authentic and and still has depth and meaning yeah that that's very true and that that was challenging yes you challenged me there <laughs> But it is, uh, it's it's all very honest. I mean, I was like really in the moment thinking, what what is this about? It, it, that is actually something that has intrigued me my whole life. Like, what is the motivation to do this? And why is that important? And so hopefully I was able to express that a little bit there. It's. I think it's important to, to ask these questions and ask why, why, why. And mm -hmm. Until you get to the point where your answer is, I have no idea. <laughs> Yeah, I guess I didn't get to that point, but I was getting close. We were getting close. I think like, maybe one or two more layers. Like, and you, what I, else you, does he want to know? You, the answer would have been, I have no idea. <laughs> so another problem I see with people being asked at an earlier stage of their development as a student, maybe, to, to intellectualize, to overthink about what they're doing. Um, part of that is that maybe they're their motivation, their ideas really haven't developed all that far. I mean, um, <clears throat> it's not like some, like if you learn an intellectual topic and you want to study science or something, um, in order to be good at it, well, you're, you're, you know, taking in a lot of information and you're learning it. Um, and yeah, that also takes time to develop and become good at. But it's kind of the result of different processes. That's, that is more intellectual. When you're developing your intuition, um, 
you know, that it's hard to say what it takes to develop that. I, I know it takes time. I know it takes practice. Um, it takes being in touch with kind of your in, inner life, with your impulses, and all of those things. Uh, it's harder to measure. It's harder to really know. But I, it does take a long time. So if you're, you know, doing something purely, purely intellectual, you have certain benchmarks like, oh, okay, I've, I've learned enough to, to do this medical procedure or whatever it is. Um, and I know that, you know, medicine also takes a lot of intuition as well. But it's just different standards, I think, with a lot of uh, things that you learn. And to try to um, say something analytical and intellectual too early in your process before that, that intuition is really unfolded, I think, can cause problems. Let's take a minute to talk about what's new with Cold Wax Academy. Rebecca and Jerry have an exciting winter quarter planned with a focus on working with cold wax medium using both abstract and realistic approaches. Members will enjoy opportunities to participate in portfolio reviews and critiques, and of course, engage with the ongoing weekly live sessions that explore featured topics in depth. Cold Wax Academy is the only online teaching platform devoted exclusively to deepening and developing your painting practice in every aspect. Lessons are centered on the range of uses for cold wax medium, but also include important insights and information about all other aspects of art practice. For information about joining this vibrant international community of artists and to learn more about cold wax medium, please visit coldwaxacademy.com. That's coldwaxacademy.com. All right, let's get back into it. So I, I suppose my basic idea, and probably yours as well, is I think it's a mistake to think that in order to make serious art, um, your art needs to be about something very elevated or lofty or political or sociological something that's going to engage the viewer's mind. Um, is that what makes serious art? Or can serious art be much more um, visually oriented and come about through intuition um, as well as this kind of um, intellectual process? And I feel like um, seriousness is actually more honestly exploratory than making statements about things. I mean, I would say a serious artist is exploring uh, some realms that are outside of words. I mean, it's beyond words. And and that's kind of where the magic the magic comes in to me. Yeah, I can't help but wonder what, uh, what the artist statement would be for really well-known pieces of art that, that changed history in some cases. Right. You know, I, I kind of wonder what, what would be the, the artist statement for the Mona Lisa? Yeah. And, and it's, you know, there's so much great art that simply is, you know, we can write about it later. We can explain it in terms of history. We can trace its origins and all those things. Yeah. Technique. Yeah. But in, in the moment of looking at a painting like that, it's just the presence of the painting, you know, and it is what it is. It's like it has power, it has presence, and um, how you achieve that in art is it's something it's hard to explain, and, and it's hard to try to justify with words either. 
It's just, uh, it's perception and skill. And um, so I, you know, as I said, I think there is a place for thinking about your work. Absolutely, there's a place for talking about it, especially in, in the contemporary art world. You know, we are expected to do this. But, you know, I, I think that that seriousness and important art is the result of a lot of intuition and, and exploration and um, experimentation. And it's not just something that, you know, you sort of tick the boxes and say it's relevant, it fits current trends or something like that. I mean, that's that's so superficial. I even hate to say it, but, you know, it's out there. And there's some pressure to do that, as you mentioned um, particularly, I, I believe now in a lot of um, graduate programs in art or undergraduate programs, and I know this from things people tell me, that this is what they've learned to do, to, um, to uh, think, overthink, think a lot about what they're doing. And it, I feel that there's a line, there's a personal, individual line that we find a, a balance, a comfort zone with all of that. And um, so I think that's a good thing to kind of talk about a little bit uh, as well before the podcast is over. Um, I think that, you know, this idea that your your work could be lofty or could convey some really big ideas, they may indeed be part of your work as you grow. I mean, they may enter in in a natural way, but the best ideas really grow out of your experience in the world and the studio, and not just from coming up with something, you know, like sort of conjuring up something that you say, well, I'm going to, ex this is uh, this is an avenue that I want to research. And there are a lot of artists that talk about research in their work um, in ways that actually, literally, they are researching, they're reading about ideas and things. And, you know, I don't want to put that down. If that is a natural part of what you do, then it's okay, but you shouldn't feel forced into that um, and feel that you have to invent that, I guess is what I'm saying. Well, in the, the most impactful pieces of art, they, I mean, calling back to what I said earlier, they, it's, it's, a, it's a very human connection between yourself and the creator. And, and it's something that goes beyond um, words and language, as you mentioned earlier. It's, it's something that um, is, is really more of a spiritual connection, and it cuts through time and space. Um, and it's, it's this uh, very ethereal uh, impact that these, that these great works of art have on us and have on, or universally have on people. And if you really want to create something like that, which should be the goal of every artist, the, the way you do that is not by, as you point out, overanalyzing, overthinking, and trying to insert a message into your art that may not be there naturally. Yeah, and to keep that really personal connection, that personal investment, that's going to come through in your work um, as an individual and heartfelt impulse behind your work. Um, I, I do think that it's good to recognize where that comes from. And that was kind of this little uh, exercise that we did earlier that really was, you just sprang it on me. But, you know, thinking, well, what, why do I do this? And what, why is it important? Identifying what it is that really does 
motivate you and and what is making you do this and setting some intentions about it and and if that and if that motivation is you know socio-political change um i i think that there there is certainly a place for that but it's not something that should be it's not it's not like this is the only relevant art that we should be we should be thinking in broader terms and if that really is you know your biggest motivator then make your art by all means and and you know make it tell that story but don't make it that if that's not you yeah and 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 that whatever it is your ends up being your you know sort of expression as a mature artist of what what you're interested in that's going to take it's going to take some time and practice uh, you probably can't define it ahead of time you just grow into it um and and that the more you uh develop this uh ability to be intuitive and be in touch with those things in combination with some self-analysis and and self-critique of your work as i said earlier there's there's a balance that you can find where you're you're engaging your intellect but you're not letting it control your work you you are getting out of your way most of the time when you are actually painting or doing what you do you're not thinking in that sort of way and and that when we say the words overthinking typically it is applied to uh the blocks that can arise while you're actually making work. But we, we sort of wanted to talk about this other aspect of it too, because it comes through in artist statements and articles about art in uh, the type of work that you may see in galleries sometimes and wonder, is this really authentic? Is this actually um, personal to this, whoever's making it? Well, and if it is personal, if it is authentic, there's no way you'll be able to keep it out of your work. It's going to be, an intrinsic part of your work true enough yeah i mean you don't if anything that's that's really strong for you is going to be there so um you know you can let that happen and open that door as best you can um and i i wanted to talk a little bit about like well how would you sort of realize in yourself if you were overthinking in in your process and in the way that you present your work how are there ways that you're sort of blocking um, a more authentic expression um, out of a desire to sort of fit in with current trends or whatever it is. And I would say there's several things to kind of look for in yourself. And one is um, that you are second guessing yourself all the time and uh, questioning, you know, oh, you, you want to do something, but well, I don't know, should I? You know, <laughs> I mean, uh, taking risks is kind of throwing yourself over that cliff and saying, well, I, I think it's a good idea. I want to try it. And that's not overthinking. That's kind of going with the flow. And that's that's an important aspect of whatever you do, I think, to keep your work fresh and keep it growing. Um, I would say another sign is if you feel like you always have to plan everything out ahead of time or most of it. And, you know, we see this a lot uh, in workshops where, people are hesitant to just dive in and they want, they do want to have a lot of steps kind of lined up and they want to know that this is going to work out. And this, you know, just the need to plan. And again, some types of work need that kind of planning. It just depends. If you're doing, um, you know, certain processes or imagery, yeah, you do need to plan ahead. Um, 
so that's that's individualized. But um, you know, if if you're doing the type of work that's more process oriented, you have to kind of give yourself over to that. I would say also, um, if you find yourself arguing with yourself about doing something that might seem sort of frivolous or playful, <laughs> you know, uh, you have this urge to, today I'm just going to get out some different media and mess around with it. But wait a minute, should I be spending my time doing that? I mean, that's that's also overthinking. That's over planning and over like restricting yourself because you think you have a plan. You think you have something you need to be following, but you don't actually know what would come out of that giving into that sort of impulse. Um, or maybe you resist the idea of something just because you like it, <laughs> just because this is fun, this is pleasurable, it excites you. Uh, and you think, yeah, but that's really not what I'm doing. You know, I said, no, I should, I should pull back from that. You know, um, that's another kind of overthinking. Um, and I would say, um, spending a lot of time, uh, studying the work of other artists and, and it's really good to study the work of other artists. And I don't want to say that you shouldn't do that, but I know people who spend more time researching other artists and looking very closely at their work and analyzing it, they spend more time doing that than actually creating art. And I suspect that uh, the result of that is is overthinking <laughs> because you've learned so much about how someone else is doing something. And it's hard to imagine that wouldn't get in your way. Um, so that's a good practice to study other artists, but if you're overdoing it, that could that could get in your way and i guess you know finally something we we've kind of said several times in this session is your artist statement you, you realize that your artist statement what you're saying about your work does not actually jive or align with what your what your work actually looks like visually uh, and so you have to ask yourself does what you have to say about your work make sense with what it looks like or what what its impact is. That's pretty simple and straightforward, but it's kind of the point where you realize when you notice this in someone else's work, it's kind of obvious, you know, it's kind of, sometimes you feel almost embarrassed for someone because they're overstating, they're overblowing what they're doing and it's it doesn't feel authentic. Um, and I would say, you know, the kind of the, the way out of any of this stuff is to find this kind of rhythm that works for you of thinking and doing. So we all take, it's good to take these pauses where you step back. How's it going? Is this working? But when you're actually working to, to try to basically shut your brain down, it's not easy. Um, and to keep, keep playing and experimenting all the time. That's, that is as serious and as important a component of your work as anything that is like more planned or more thought out, I, I believe. Um, so it, depending on the, your own personality, it, it can take as much discipline and practice to put aside your thoughts and depend on intuition as it does uh, to engage in analytical thoughts. So that's, it's very, it's very personal. Some people have no problem at all stepping away, going into their flow state, and other people are constantly questioning and overthinking. So, um, I don't know, that's, that's pretty personal. But 
I, I think if you recognize it in yourself, uh, to try to counteract it in some way is a good idea. Well, do you have any final thoughts to wrap up this episode? Well, I would say that like a lot of things in art and things we like to talk about on the podcast, um, you know, this this idea that we should not be overthinking and this very common advice uh, to get out of your own way, it's not. it sounds simple, but it's not as straightforward as it might seem. <laughs> it's actually pretty challenging. And we do need thinking. We do need analysis. So... It's a balance, and that's going to be different for different artists. But I guess in listening to this, if you kind of sort of identify, I think I'm, I think I'm overthinking, or if you just feel frustrated, and you know you do this, um, I don't know. Just uh, we, I guess we hope that you will try honoring the necessity to try to turn that off, <laughs> and play, and trust your intuition more. And also to not be ashamed or embarrassed if you're, when you say what your work is about and what your intentions are, um, if they're not particularly conceptual and they're not particularly intellectual, that is, that is very good and um, it's okay. You don't want to do something that is forced, feels forced or inauthentic. All right. Well, that just about wraps up this episode of The Messy Studio. For more from The Messy Studio, please check out www.messystudiopodcast.com and sign up for the email list. You can also find The Messy Studio on Facebook, as well as public profiles for both Rebecca Kroll and myself, Ross Tickner. For more from Rebecca Kroll, please check out www.rebeccacroll.com and Cold Wax Academy at www.coldwaxacademy.com and sign up for the email lists to stay up to date on events, book signings, and openings. The Messy Studio Podcast is a core publication management production. Thanks for listening. We'll be back again next week with more art and entertainment. In the meantime, embrace your creative space, messy or otherwise. Thanks, everybody.